Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Judges chapter 3. We're going to be in the Old Testament, and the only place we will be this morning is Judges chapter 3. So I want to just lob a truth bomb on you right to to begin this morning. Look, I don't care who you are, how good you are, how many rules you follow, how many Bible verses you memorize, or how many puppies or kitties you rescue. Bad things are going to happen to all of us. That's just the way life goes. But there's something super interesting when you observe people that are in the middle of bad circumstances. You can have two people who face the exact same difficulty at the exact same time and to the exact same level, and they respond completely opposite of one another. And if you come back to those same two people that face that same difficulty at the same time, if you come back to those same people Two months later, what you can find often is one has moved on and the other is living as if those circumstances happened to them just a couple of hours ago. What I've just described to you is the difference in a victim and a victor. And the people that allow the circumstances of their life to become their defeated identity have what we call or what what has been called The victim mentality. What is that exactly? Well, here's how we would define define the, the victim mentality. It's in your notes. The victim mentality is a dysfunctional mindset where a person seeks to feel persecuted by life's circumstances in order to gain attention or avoid self responsibility. That's what it is for someone who lives in the victim mentality. Now, here's the thing. Most of you, you know someone that lives in the victim mentality. If you don't, it may be because it's you. You might be the one that's living in the victim mentality, and it's something that's super easy to not even be self-aware about. Today, I want to share with you Four things about overcoming the victim mentality with an emphasis on the difficulty that comes in the form of physical disability. Each of the four weeks in this message series, I'm going to cover a different area that people tend to allow to cause them to live in the victim mentality. Today we're going to talk about physical disability, and that's something that I know that many of you, you deal with. The main thing that separates victims from victors is how they view their difficult circumstances. Do you remember elementary school P.E.? Maybe on this day, the P.E. teacher says, okay, we're going to have relay races. And so they get everyone to line up on the line and they pick two captains and the two captains begin to pick teams for the relay races. Some of you, you're already feeling anxious about it, just even thinking about it. Because there's that, there's that thought of, oh, please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. 
So, so I, I just can, I can think back to when I was uh, uh, in elementary school here at Lamar Elementary School. And so they, they picked the two captains. They would pick the two fastest students, which would be Lowell and Steve. And they would pick their teams. And so Ladane would be picked first. And then Dwayne would be picked. And then Calvin would be picked. And Calvin wasn't the fastest, but in the fifth grade, Calvin was already shaving. He was already way more mature than all the rest of us. And so he got picked. And there would be this guy picked and this guy picked. And I'm still standing on the line thinking, please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. And they're calling names. And then they call Shelly. And I'm like, oh, dang. <laughs> now they're picking girls before me. And if I was the captain, I would have picked Shelly too because she was faster than I was. But anyway, so so here's the thing. Now I'm looking down the line, right? Trying to see if there's anybody that I know I'm going to be picked in, so, picked in front of them. So I know I'm not picked last. And there's that kid down there. The kid with the cast and the crutches. Now, that kid didn't have to participate. They just wanted to participate. So I knew, okay, I'm not going to be picked last. The one that's going to be picked last is the one down there in the, in the cast and the crutches. That's the kid that's going to be last pick. Today, as we begin this four-week message series called Victor, we look at a man who was that kid. He would have been the last one picked for any type of physical act, and his name is Ehud. Ehud is the guy, is the kid with the cast and crutches. He was, in his whole life, he was no one's first pick ever. And so he would have been the last one picked at P.E., but Ehud is a man who had a physical disability, and yet, don't miss these next three words, God chose him. Despite his physical disability, God chose him over all the able-bodied men in Israel to deliver them from being ruled by a neighboring nation. Now, he could have chosen to live in the victim mentality, but instead... He chose to overcome his physical disability. How did he do it and how can we? Well, we have to start here. And it's the first thing there in your notes. Victims see obstacles. Victors see opportunities. When bad stuff happens, victims see obstacles and victors see opportunities. If if when stuff happens to you, if the first thing that you always think is, why is this happening To me, you might be a victim. The reality is our approach as followers of Jesus Christ when we have those type of circumstances isn't why is this happening to me, but why is this happening for me? What is God going to do here? What is God teaching me? How is God going to use me? What's, What's this for? Where victims view the bad circumstances as something that traps them, Victors see those same circumstances as something that frees them to fly in a new way. And this was the mindset of this man named Ehud. So so before we begin reading in Judges chapter 3, let me give you just a little bit of of context that that leads us up into where we're going to read. So if you go back in your mind to some of the things that you know about the Old Testament... God's people, Israel, they were slaves in Egypt under the Pharaoh. Just go back to the movie, The Ten Commandments, or something like that. You're going to kind of get the context. Finally, God chooses Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But he's going to have his heart hardened, and there's going to be ten plagues. But finally, he's going to let you go. And once he does, I'm going to go send you to this land that I have promised you. 
And that land is what we know now today as Israel, where the Israelites still to this day dwell. It's the land that God promised to them to live. There's just this little problem. You would like to think that once they got to that land, that they would live happily ever after, right? They're, they're freed from the slavery. They're on the land that God gave to them. And everything's good. But there was this problem. Israel had a hard time obeying God. And it resulted often in, some, in facing some difficult circumstances. So in Judges chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse 12. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and Amalekites as allies. And then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms. So God allows Moab, who was a a neighboring nation to their east, to, to get some allies. And they came in and they overtook Israel. And so while the Israelites are still getting to live on their land, they are conquered and ruled by their neighbors to the east. And, and Moab has a king by the name of Eglon. So let's pick up where we left off, verse 14. And so the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera. So when they found themselves in trouble, they found themselves being ruled by these neighboring nations, God raised up for them a rescuer to save them. And it's this man, Ehud. But but let's just take one step back in the story. What was it that prompted God to send them a rescuer? Well, we find the answer in ver- at the very first of verse 15. It says, when the people of Israel did what? When they cried out to the Lord. When they cried out to the Lord for help, he sent a rescuer. And that's what we often do, right? We get to the end of our rope, and when we get to the end of our rope, we call out to God for help. But there's something in verse 14 that that it should just jump out at all of us this morning. And so look at verse 14. I want to see if you see it. How long did it take them to get to the end of the rope? 18 years. This is a nation that's living in the victim mentality. They have lived under this rule of this of this neighboring nation. So they're in misery and and, and they're doing it for 18 years. What's wrong with these people? What is wrong with anyone who would live in their misery for this long extended period of time? Let let me ask. Let's uh, let's just talk a little bit about what we know about the character of God. So when they cried out to God, after 18 years, he sent a rescuer. Agreed? That's what the Bible says. What would have happened, do you suppose, if they would have cried out to God after the 15th year? I think God would have sent the rescuer then. Or, Or what if they would have cried out to God after the 10th year? I believe God would have sent the rescuer then. What would have happened if they would have called out to God after the first year? God would have sent a rescuer. You see, their crying out to God isn't just, Lord, help us, but it's also an acknowledgement of we have done wrong. 
Lord, and we need your help. Why would a people live in the victim mentality for so long? Let me, let me, let me rephrase it. Why do we wait so long before we're willing to cry out to God? Well, I think the answer is in the second thing in your notes this morning, and it's this. Our pride keeps us trapped in the victim mentality. Why did they wait so long? It was their pride. Why do we wait so long? It's our, it's our pride. They lived in the victim mentality for 18 years because of their pride. They wanted to do things their way. And some of us here today are just like that. There, there are things, there are circumstances, maybe it's sin, and it's ruling our life, and, and we could be rescued from those things but our pride has kept us from calling out to God. And, and, and you've been living as a victim for years. And, and, and please hear me out this morning. I'm not minimizing anyone's health struggle or physical disability. I realize that for many of you here today, it, it's, been a, it's been a real struggle for you. But you can't allow your pride to keep you from calling out to God and asking him to fix it. And if, he isn't, if it isn't his will to fix it, to use it. Your disability isn't an obstacle, it's an opportunity. It's your choice, though. You can be a victim or you can be a victor by calling out to God. When Israel called out to God, God raised up a rescuer named Ehud. Let's read some more about him. Again, to very first of verse 15. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. What seems like a casual mention to us as we read is an integral part of Ehud's story. It says he was left-handed. Many of you are left-handed. And you're left-handed because it's, it's either your, where you're dominant or, or it's your, your preferred arm. But Ehud wasn't just left-handed because of dominance or preference. He was left-handed because he had to be. The Hebrew language here literally translated means that he was shut of the right hand. Something had happened to him that, that caused him to not be able to use his right hand. He, he either had injured it or he had some disease that had affected it. Or maybe he had a defect from birth. Whatever the cause, Ehud wasn't left-handed by birth but by necessity. And even though he had a physical disability, he became a victor used by God to be Israel's Rescuer. Let's pick up right where we left off. So he was a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to the king of Eglon. The king of Moab named Eglon. So what is tribute money? Well, think of the bad neighborhood. Or, or maybe for some of you, think of like a mob movie. Think of the Godfather. And, and in, in, a, in a situation like that, you had to pay money... For protection. That's what tribute money is. It's not just a tax. It's protection money is, is what it boils down to. And so they were having to pay Moab and pay the, the king, Eglon, this protection money to keep them from, from doing damage to them physically or to their property. And so Ehud was chosen to take the tribute money to the king. Why him? 
let's just think practically for a moment. Imagine that King Eglon says, okay, I want all the men of the tribe of Benjamin to line up. Let's go back to the P.E. thing. Line up on the line. Everybody stand on the line. I'm going to pick somebody. My first pick to be the one to come into my presence and bring me the tribute money. And so everybody lines up. And, and he comes across to the, 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 the one guy in line, the special forces guy, the Israeli special forces. And, and that guy says, I'll do it. And the king says, nah, I don't want you. I don't want you being the one bringing this to my house. And so then he goes down to the to the, the Israeli ninja. And and the ninja says, I'll do it. And the king says, nah, I don't want you being the one coming into my palace. And he goes down to, you know, Mr. Israel, the bodybuilding champion. And he says, I'll do it. And the king says, nah, you're not the one I want either. But then he looked down there and there's the disabled kid. There's Ehud down there, the guy with the crippled arm. And the king says, I see who who I want. That's who I want to be the one to bring the money into my palace. He's no threat, so I, I pick him. See, I think Ehud was chosen because he was physically handicapped. Not in spite of. He was the kid with the cast and crutches. Getting picked last for the relay race. So he didn't want... The king didn't want someone that he had to fear coming into his presence. He wanted the guy with the physical disability. Third thing I want you to see this morning is this. Our disability gives us opportunities that we otherwise wouldn't have. Let's read the rest of the story. Verse 16. So Ehud has been picked now. So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden under his clothing. He brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. Verse 20. Ehud walked over to Eglon. I'm leaving some out just for time's sake. So he gives the tribute money, he leaves, but then he comes back. Walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in a cool upstairs room, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And as King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. You see, when when Ehud came and said, I have a message for you, the king sent all of his aides out of the room. And so it was just Ehud and the king. And he reaches down and he grabs a dagger that he had strapped to to his inner thigh underneath his clothes that that had went in undetected, and he stabs the king, verse 27. Then he had he had ran and, and escaped, verse 27. When he, speaking of Ehud, when he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me. If you're a Bible marker, I want, you should mark that. I'll tell you why in a minute. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him. And the Israelites took control of the shallow crossings of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. Ehud, the guy with the physical disability, the guy with the crippled arm, He stopped being being a victim because of his disability and became a victor despite his disability. See, his disability gave him opportunities that he wouldn't have had without it. The reason he was chosen instead of the 
special forces guy, the ninja or the bodybuilder, was because of his disability. He was never considered a threat. See, one of the things that's left out here, and so I'm just going to tell you, it, it's, it's a little bit of, of minor speculation on the part of scholars and historians, is that when someone would come into the presence of the king, they would pat him down, but they would only pat down the left leg because the warrior would generally be right-handed, and so he would reach if there was any hidden weapon. But you see, Ahudes was strapped to his right leg. They didn't check the right leg because he was left-handed. Something that he could do because of his disability. See, he may have been everyone's last choice since he was the cripple guy, but he was God's first choice when it came to rescuing the nation of Israel from Moab. And, and, and it said that then he, he went out and, and called all of his, his fellow Benjamites to arms. And I told you that you should mark those two words, follow me. Here's what I want you to see. People will follow someone who is disabled but has chosen to be a victor instead of a victim. Why? Because they know that person knows how to deal with adversity. And when they see someone who is willing to not live in the victim mentality that's struggling with physical disability but instead is going to be a victor, they're willing to follow that person. If you're here today and you've been living in the victim mentality because of physical disability, I want you to understand you don't have to be that person. There are people in this world who are waiting to follow someone like you, but they can't because you haven't chosen to get out of the victim mentality. I'm convinced that there are people today, many people today, who because of some physical disability, maybe you can't walk, you can't see, um, you're dealing with something in your body that keeps you from, for, from your body from fully functioning, or maybe you're in a bad car accident and, and, and you're struggling as a result of that, whatever it is. You've bought into the lie that your disability means that you have to be a victim. And again, I get that life is a struggle for you. And all you, although you may be the last one picked at PE, I want you to know that you are God's first choice for something else. I don't know what it is. But the only way to, to find out is to quit living in the victim mentality. Don't be like the Israelites who it took 18 years before they were willing to cry out to God. Ahud's disability gave him the opportunity that other men didn't have to kill the king of Moab and free Israel from Moab's rule. And here's why. And it's the fourth thing. Our disability, when placed in God's hand, becomes our capability. Ahud was chosen because of his disability. And he used his disability as his advantage. But here's the thing. It didn't just happen. It took some preparation on his part, if you went and looked back at verse 16, it says that Ahud made a double-edged dagger. Okay, I want you to understand. Ahud made a double-edged dagger. There wasn't a double-edged dagger store. He had to make it. Now, again, I don't know if any of you have ever watched a blacksmith or that maybe the TV show Forged in Fire. But forging steel is hard work. It's hard work for someone with two arms. And you have Ahud, the one-armed man, the, the, the crippled guy who tackles the job of forging his own double-edged dagger so that when the opportunity came, he was ready for it. You see, victims see obstacles 
and victors see opportunities. If you have some physical disability, you are not useless and you are not worthless and you are not defective. Instead, like Ehud, you have been uniquely created and crafted and shaped by God to accomplish things for his glory and for the good of his people. But in order to experience it, you have to quit being a victim and be a victor. I happen to see this. I'm about to show you a, a pretty extended video clip. It's about five minutes long. I happen to see this story as I was preparing this series. And it's about a young girl. I saw this on America's Got Talent. This is not a documentary. This is real TV, right? <laughs> it's about a young girl who was into music, and she went to college to be a music educator. And when she got to college... She actually had gotten a disease earlier, and she started losing her hearing, which, as you can imagine, is very difficult for a musician. I want you to watch this. Hello. Hi, how are you? And what's your name? Uh, Mandy Harvey. And who's this? My interpreter. What's your name? Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Doing well, thank you. Hello. Okay, Mandy, so I think I've worked this out. So you're deaf? Yes, I I lost all my hearing when I was 18 years old. Wow. And how old are you now? Uh, 29. So it's 10 years. Wow. And Mandy, how did you lose your hearing, if you don't mind me asking? I have a connective tissue disorder. So basically, I got sick and my nerves deteriorated. Growing up, the only thing I wanted to do was sing. I ended up going to school for vocal music education so that I, I could have that be my life. When I was in college, I thought I had an ear infection, and it just got worse and worse. And by Christmas, I was borderline legally deaf in both ears. There was one day where the teacher was going to play the piano and I had to chart out everything that he was playing. And I had my pencil ready and everybody else's pencils start moving and I'm just waiting for the test to start. And then one by one, every person just got up and left the room. And I just, I didn't hear enough to, to even start the test. That was the last day I was a part of music program. That was a bad day. <laughs> we were sitting in the car together to come home. She said, Dad, I can't remember what your voice sounds like anymore. At that moment, you knew that um, things would never be the same. Everything that I had ever wanted was just going away, and I couldn't stop it. The music is alive inside of her. The only question was, what could she do with it now? My dad suggested that we play a song. I said, well, that's crazy, but I had a guitar tuner, and I hummed my starting note and just went for it. Music now isn't about the sound, it's about the feeling. I'm excited, I'm nervous, I'm scared, so I'm just trying to... <laughs> it's not the dream that I always had. That's okay. 
because I showed up and I did something I never believed I could do. So you were singing before you lost your hearing? Yeah, I've been singing since I was four. So I, I left music after I lost my hearing and then uh, figured out how to get back into singing with muscle memory, using visual tuners, and trusting my pitch. So your shoes are off because you're feeling the vibration. Is that how you're following the music? Yeah, I'm feeling the tempo, the, the beat uh, through the floor. And Mandy, what are you going to sing? I'm going to uh, sing a song that I wrote called Try. Okay, can you tell me what it's about? After I lost my hearing, I gave up. But I want to do more with my life than just give up. So. Good for you. Okay, well, look, this is your moment, and good luck. Uh, okay. Part of the lyric in her song was, the only thing in my way is me. See, where a victim gives up, a victor shows up and tries. You've heard it before, the same boiling water that softens the potato hardens the egg. It's not the circumstances that matter most, what matters most is what you're made of. Let your disability become your capability. Don't see obstacles. 
see opportunities. You can be a victim or a victor. And here's the beauty of it all. It's your choice with the strength of the Holy Spirit that lives within you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? I realize that there were some things, of course, today that 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 span all of us. And then we specifically targeted physical disability. I want anyone here that's struggling with with any type of physical struggle. I want you to understand that although you may feel like in this world, you are last choice. You are God's first choice to accomplish that which he has in store for you. But you got to show up. And you got to try. And you got to get out of the victim mentality. Yes, it looks like an obstacle. But really, it's an opportunity. And so let's let God take our disability and make it our capability. All across the room right now, I, I just want to give you a moment. For you to be able to just process where you are in this victim or victor stage. Do do you find yourself more often making excuses and laying blame? Or do you just look at the struggle as, as a part of what God has allowed into your life to make you who you are for His glory and for the good of God's people. So I'm going to give you just a moment. and Maybe some of you just need today to commit, I've got to get out of this victim mentality. Because I want to be a victor. Would you do that right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that you gave us today in Scripture. And the beauty of the story of this man named Ehud, who we can identify with, that that had a struggle. And that, that, as everyone else did, he lived in that victim mentality for 18 years, but he decided to not live there any longer. And he stepped up and he showed up. And allowed God to turn his disability into his capability. God, I pray that you would help every one of us to see how much you love us. And that when we face bad circumstances or difficult health things, Lord, it's not not your anger. It's not because you're mad at us. But we live in a world that is full of sin and there are these things that just happen as a result of living in a sin-filled world, disease and and defect and and accidents. Lord, we just have to 
not allow those things to define us, but to shape us and to free us to fly in a new way. And I pray, Lord, that each of us would be willing to commit to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen.